Good morning and a warm welcome to Brighton's Parish Church. It is so lovely to see you here. It's lovely to see some faces I haven't seen in quite a long time. And I know that you've made the extra special effort to be here today because we're saying thank you and farewell to Elaine and Ian. So welcome to you both. It's really lovely to have you here. If you're watching from home, please do get involved with the live chat and our thanks to Morag for hosting. Prior to the start of our service, you'll have seen the notices on screen, and these are available to download from the website and will be repeated at the end. Please do um, read them over, get a copy, because there are some new notices in there. There are some changes. I'm just not going to spend many minutes going over them. <laughs> so please get a copy. For those of us here in the sanctuary, uh, a quick reminder that um, a mask must be worn at all times unless you have a medical condition uh, that would preclude you from doing that. And um, we are allowed to sing, so we will stand for the hymns. Though if you at any point feel that you are getting tired, please do feel free just to sit and sing along. At the end, we do need to remain seated um, after the benediction so that we can exit in an orderly manner and we'll give instructions at that point. We gather in the name of the Lord Jesus to lift up his name to glory in him. And so let us take a moment now to pause, turning our hearts and minds towards him. And if you're at home, please join me in lighting a gathering candle. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatians, says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as his children. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, you are made also an heir. We gather as the children of God. We gather as a family here in Brighton. We gather as heirs of Christ, heirs who have been bought at a price and given a great hope through Jesus. So let us worship God with our first two hymns. Let us stand to sing.
Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Our great and wonderful God, we come before you with awe and wonder. We gather with the, the hosts of heaven and all creation to cry out, praise him, praise him, to lift up your name. For God, you are greater than our minds can fathom and more powerful than we can ever imagine. And what's even more wonderful and wonder of wonders, for some reason you love us with a fierce and total love, valuing us for who and what we are. Father God, you've shown that in your care to, to call us and welcome us into your family as your children. And you provide for us each day, guiding us throughout our lives. Jesus, you've shown it through sharing our humanity identifying so completely with us that firsthand you have experienced our joys and our sorrows. And Holy Spirit, you have shown it, guiding us 
working in us, teaching us, holding us day in, day out, leading us in the way of faith and love. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, we lift up your name. We glory in you and we ask that you would receive our worship as a pleasant offering to you this day. And may we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be given a sense of your greatness and of your gentleness. May we glimpse something of your otherness and yet know also your nearness. Lord God, you know that too often our vision of you can become very narrow and our heart's response to you can become hard. We may even regularly willfully disobey you and become, how can we say this, bored in worship of you. For all this and much more, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. We ask for a, a fresh zeal in our following after you, a fresh passion, a greater vision of you this day and in the week to come. And so our great and wonderful God, hear our prayer. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. As we pray now in the words he gave his disciples, saying and signing together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Today we begin a new teaching series uh, that will see us through to the end of summer. And I was keen for us to, to get back into the Gospels to see Jesus face to face once more and to hear his teaching to us. And I'm particularly keen on this because our purpose, we've said, is to be a congregation who seek to invite, encourage, and enable people of all ages to follow Jesus Christ. And part of our commitment to that is that we had a 9.30 service this morning. The sun was glorious. You missed it. It was, I uh, can't guarantee that every Sunday, so um, hopefully it remains. But we had 30 people out there and we were worshipping God and had a really great time. But we did it because of our commitment to our families, to our children, to help them know what it is to follow Jesus themselves and to honour our Sunday school leaders that they might have a proper break over the summer. So as I say, a new teaching series begins today. The series is themed stories of power and parable, stories of power and parable. And as we go through the weeks, I'm hoping that through it we'll see a fresh glimpse of Jesus, a fresh glimpse of what it means to follow Jesus. And so now we're going to hear our scripture read for us today by Norma. The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. <clears throat> Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone 
and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, <coughs> walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. And may God add his blessing to this reading from his holy word. We come now to that part of our service where we're going to say thank you and farewell to Elaine and Ian and then hear from Elaine as well. 
Elaine, you have been a member here at Brighton since February 1983, and during that time you have served in a whole variety of ways, at one time convener of the Young Women's Group, also a BB officer in the junior section, leader and conductor of the Praise Group, and ordained an elder in 1995. But principally, you will be remembered as our organist and choir master, a position you have held since December 2009. Week in, week out, over those years you have faithfully, skillfully and passionately led and enabled our worship and our choir, and been an integral part of both funeral and wedding services. In all of this, you have sought to honour the Lord with your gifts and passion, and to bless others both within this congregation and beyond, and that beyond particularly through the praise group which travelled the world to share the joy of music and raised tens of thousands of pounds. Elaine, I have thoroughly enjoyed the few years we have worked and served together, and I know that a great many people here in the Brightons family, many more than are able to be here, will miss you dearly. Yet we recognise that a special chapter in your family's life has now come with the arrival of Ben, and so we fully understand the pool north to be closer to them all. Nevertheless, we do want to honour your service and to thank you for the years of fellowship and friendship we have shared with you. I have some flowers, a card and a gift to give you just now, and maybe as I share those, uh, the congregation here and at home could share their thankfulness with a round of applause. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, a huge thank you for that. It was uh, most surprising. I was not expecting this at all, honestly. So it's uh, quite uh, moving um, to be in this position. But I, I had no idea that this was going to happen, so I wasn't sure that I was going to speak. But, of course, if I'm given the opportunity to speak, those of you who will know me <laughs> will know I'm not going to say no to that. So, uh, as Scott has said, he's covered most of it anyway. I hadn't, to be honest, realised just how long I've been in Brighton's, but uh, every, every year has been wonderful. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Obviously, the praise group has a huge part of my heart and uh, it went on for 25 years, which was just wonderful. We, we had a great time and we, we thoroughly enjoyed that. And then to start playing uh, the organ was a great joy for me too, and particularly to take the choir, who became another part of my heart. And as Scott has said, this chapter that has arrived in our lives was most unexpected, um, but such a pleasure. The last year has brought many challenges for everybody, many difficulties, but in our case, of course, it brought great blessing as well. And although Ian doesn't want to uh, show quite <laughs> what that means at the moment, but if you ask him, I'll show you later just exactly <laughs> what has happened to us uh, recently. But as Scott has mentioned, we have become grandparents. And I know so many of you told us how wonderful that would be, but we just hadn't quite imagined what it would be. We're both besotted, totally besotted. And it has meant, because they're in Dundee, it's meant that it just makes sense for us to go closer to them. We're not going to move to Dundee, but we're moving to Perth. 
so that if we do come back, it's not too far to come, but also it means we're closer to them because as soon as Ben arrived, babysitting seemed like a very good idea. So I think we might be doing a bit of that, and it means we're going to be closer to them. So it's just wonderful to be up there. But I will miss being here, and I will really miss what I've been doing over these years. I can't believe it's that long, to be honest. I hadn't realised. I think I said that already, but I'm still getting over it. But uh, yes, I will miss so many of you. And also, can I say a great thank you to you for your, uh, your cards and best wishes when Ben was born. Really appreciated that too. It was lovely. So I don't know what else to say except to say thank you very much for all the years that I've been here and all the wonderful um, commitment that you've given to the, the things that we've done together. I did write a very silly poem for the choir some time ago. I know you were expecting me to tell jokes, but I'm not going to do that. But uh, I wasn't sure whether I would tell you my little uh, poem or not, but oh, why not? I've got it in my bag here. It's very silly, so I hope you'll forgive me. I need my glasses as well now. I wrote this some time ago, but I have adapted it slightly. Come to Brighton's church each week and you will hear the choir. They harmonise and make a sound that many folks admire. Each Thursday night they try to be the best that they can be, and Anne and Sandra serve us all with biscuits and some tea. John and Robert W and Elwyn and John I, they are the tenor section and they sing extremely high. The basses make a lot of noise and sometimes even sing. If Martin's there, you can be sure there's lots of blethering. In the alto section, there are four who get my votes. Margot, Marlon, Anne and Janet add the lower notes. Sometimes Janet manages to take a look behind to keep her husband right in case his music he can't find. Irene, Irene, Margot, Anne, with Sandra and Annette, add in Maggie, that's our full soprano set. They warble all the high bits, the parts that really matter. And when I practice other parts, they sometimes have a natter. Thanks to you for all your work and also for the fun. You always do your very best. That goes for everyone. I wish you all the best and hope you start to sing again. A choir should not be silent, so keep singing until then. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Much appreciated. Thank you. We're going to uh, now move to our prayers for others, and Jason's going to lead us in that. Okay. Let us then come together as one at home and in church to approach our Father God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, as we come together today on this beautiful morning, it's hard not to be so grateful for so many things we have. The weather is tremendous, the flowers and the colours, the countryside, family and friends. Lord, we are so grateful for everything we have and um, we truly thank you. It's so easy when life gets busy and so complicated with, particularly in this last year with the coronavirus and work and life. <clears throat> but as we approach you today, Lord, in this beautiful summer morning, 
we truly are thankful. And in the silence of our hearts, Lord, we just acknowledge some of the things that we want to thank you for and um, acknowledge on this morning. Lord, as we've just um, thanked Elaine, we want to bring her before you as she moves up into um, new territories in Perth with Perthshire's beautiful and um, near her family in Dun Dundee. Um, Lord, it, it's great to hear from her, just the, the excitement and the pleasure of having this new grandchild in their family life. And Lord, we do trust that you will take care of Elaine and her family and that truly she will experience a renewal, Lord, of um, her love for you and her family as she hopefully settles down in a, a new church family in, in the Perthshire area. So Lord, we ask that you will journey with her and protect and look after her and her new family. Lord, as we are thankful, we also recognise the many things that we're sorry for. And again, Lord, in a moment, we just acknowledge before we start to pray for our world and the people around us, some of the things which trouble us and we recognise that we should bring before you before we start to pray. So, Lord, we just acknowledge those things that we're sorry for. Lord, our world seems to be so troubled and um, challenging you just put the news on and sometimes it's easier just to switch it off um, and just focus on the things around but Lord it is important that as a church family we bring before you the many challenges the world experiences Lord just recently we've had the G7 summit down in Cornwall and leaders have come together to try and find common solutions to the common challenges that we all face irrespective of which country we live in uh, colour of our skin, what we believe in, where we work, where we live. Lord, it really doesn't matter. We're all one in front of you. And we just pray for the world leaders as they try to find solutions to um, the coronavirus pandemic, um, the challenge of climate change, tensions between economies and countries, the grab for minerals and equipment and resources lord lord we just bring all these leaders because at times we might have our own personal view about them their conduct how they vote and what party they stand for lord but we just pray that you will be with them and help them find solutions and in there lord as well there are some leaders who do truly love you but there are many leaders who don't and we just pray for those leaders lord who have that relationship with you that they will influence those around them Lord, we think of our persecuted church. And this morning, as I was thinking about this prayer, I thought, what would life be like for us if our church here was persecuted? How different this morning would be where we can freely just walk to church without any fear, any concern, and we can openly worship and gather together. Lord, we're so thankful for that, but we're also so aware of parts of the world where even just saying that you want to consider being a Christian can lead to death. It can lead to exclusion. And Lord, there's so many countries we hear in the world, China, India, to be a Christian there can be very challenging. Places like Vietnam where you go on holiday, um, to be a Christian there is challenging. And then we have the usual suspects like North Korea, where one would suspect life is really tough. But Lord, there are Christians there and we pray for them. 
We pray that you'll strengthen them and help us recognise, Lord, what we can do to pray for them and also maybe support organisations like Open Doors or Christian Solidarity Worldwide. Lord, as we come closer to home, um, we think of our own leaders um, in this um, country. We have our difference of opinions and different views, but Lord, we, we do ask that in all the decisions, there is a recognition of the importance that you have in um, our world. So easy it seems to be that politicians exclude you and it's, there's an active discouragement of anything to do with Christianity. But Lord, we just pray for our leaders. And we pray for our church leaders here, Lord, as there are so many changes taking place in the, the Church of Scotland and particularly in the Braes area. And we just pray for those who are involved in helping find ways forward that they understand and listen to you and reflect on what is right rather than what we want ourselves. Lord, we bring so much before you and we bring our own circumstances. And Lord, in the silence of our hearts, we just bring before you the things which we want to pray for. And knowing that in everything, Lord, whatever happens, we have that real strong confidence and hope in you. So Lord, we silently bring those things that we want to pray for in this silent moment. And finally, Lord, I bring Scott before you as he opens his um, message and that he will represent and fully reflect the truth and hope and promises we have in you. Look after Scott and his family and just pray, Lord, that you will bless him and care for him and help him relay the message that you want us to hear this morning. So, Lord, we bring all these prayers in your ever hopeful and confident name. Amen.
Please do be seated. Let us come to God in prayer before we delve into His Word. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to follow after Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, with power and deep conviction. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the many privileges of ministry is to be asked to conduct someone's funeral, and particularly to write a eulogy, because someone in my position may not even know the individual all that well, and yet we are given the opportunity and the responsibility to recall and honour another's life. Often in a person's life there'll be many seasons, highs and lows. And in the writing of this eulogy, we're not simply seeking to recount a chronological series of events. Rather, we're, we're trying to tell a story. We're trying to tell something of their journey, a very personal journey which has touched upon the lives of other people. The life of faith is also often described as a journey, as a journey of following after Jesus with its own highs and lows, its twists and turns as we go to and fro. And one of my privileges in the past year has been to facilitate the telling of people's journeys of faith through our Testimony Tuesday evenings. If you've not listened to these, I heartily encourage you to do so. Look them up on our YouTube channel, or if you don't have access to the internet, then please um, ask for a CD or DVD copy. We'd love to facilitate that for you. Because these stories of faith, these testimonies and following after Jesus were so moving and powerful. Many a time, these stories were quite normal. Not everyone had a, a great crisis that brought about a renewed uh, faith or, or something, some big change in their life. But each person did have a story to tell. Because being a Christian is to follow Jesus. And if we are following the living Jesus, then we should have a story to tell as well. A story about how your faith in Jesus makes a difference to your everyday life. And hopefully through you, how it has impacted others as well. When the day comes that someone has the great opportunity, I'm sure, to tell some of my story, um, I hope it's a story where Jesus and following Jesus is clearly seen and told. So if I was to pause right now and ask you to think over your life, to think over the many years maybe that you've been a Christian, and I was to be asked to write your story, I wonder how much would your story of faith feature? Would your family, would your friends have stories to tell about how Jesus made a difference to your character, how following Jesus, how the call or teaching of Jesus got you involved in something, got you to start something, maybe got you to stop something, maybe. Would they be able to say that you had such a close and personal relationship with Jesus that we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. What does your story of faith say of you? How is following Jesus seen in your life? Our gospel story today is a story of faith. It's a story of following after Jesus, and it's also a story of Jesus. And it's not so much about faith and following Jesus in the general storms of life that many of us will be able to resonate with. Rather, it's much more a story of risky faith that that gets you into a bit of a tricky situation. We know from our reading that the disciples are, are instructed by Jesus to get into that boat and to grow across that lake. And as they're going, they experience one of those great storms that was quite common in in that area um, as they crossed the water. And they struggle against the wind and the waves for several hours until something happens. Until something they'd never expected to see happens. Until something that was outside of anything they'd experienced before. Here came Jesus. Jesus walking on the water. And it's understandable that at first they think it's a ghost. Like if you saw that when you're on your holiday over the summer, I'm pretty sure you'd be thinking it was a ghost or or something strange. But with only a few words, Jesus reassures them that it is him. Though for some reason he doesn't seem very eager to get in the boat initially. And then for some other inexplicable reason, Peter gets this idea to say to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, call me out. And for an unknown period of time, he gets to walk on the water with Jesus. I wonder, when Peter asked that question, when he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water, what do you think the other disciples were saying to Peter at that point? Might they have said, Peter, you're crazy, man. Don't be silly. Don't risk it. Or maybe they said, Peter, that's not possible. You're only you. Don't bother. Don't risk it. Don't bother. I wonder if those are words or thoughts that you have had in your own journey of faith. Maybe someone said them to you. Maybe you've thought them yourself. Don't risk it. Don't bother. I wonder, friends, has there been times when Jesus has called you to take a step of faith and we've allowed these words to dissuade us from following him? Don't risk it. Don't bother. Maybe even just now, the Lord is calling you to do something that you thought is just crazy. Maybe he's telling you to take a step of faith and get involved in some way in our church family. Doing an area of ministry, you think, there's no way I can do that. Or to become a member and take that step of faith to publicly say, I believe in Jesus and this is my church family and I'm proud to admit that. Maybe it's to give up a sinful habit that you think there's no way I can do that. Maybe it's to share something of your faith and invite people to come to church friend, a family member. Part of Elaine's story is stepping out in faith. I'm sure you probably never thought the praise group would end up in the places that it went, but you stepped out in faith. 
you follow the call of Jesus. Maybe Jesus has something planned that would be incredible in your faith journey. Would be an incredible testimony of, of what can happen when we step out in faith. And you now face a choice. Do you listen to Jesus? Or do you listen to the voices that say, don't risk it? Don't bother. Now I hope and pray that we will take those risks. That we will take that step of faith. And maybe also I pray that through that, something incredible will happen in your life. Something incredible might happen through you even for the benefit of someone else. But do you know what? Often when we take those steps of faith, it goes well for a while, like with Peter. But something happens. Something happens. And Peter's experience, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and then he sees the wind and the waves and they start to just overwhelm him. He starts to get fearful. He starts to sink. More often than we like, more often than we like, following Jesus can get us into situations where we feel overwhelmed, where we feel vulnerable, where we feel scared, maybe even threatened. And I wonder if you have taken a step of faith sometime and it hasn't worked out like you planned. Or I wonder if you're thinking of taking a step of faith just now and you worry something will go wrong. You worry that the voices are right. Don't risk it. Don't bother. Most often when we read the story of Peter, we, we focus very much on the stuff he does wrong. And we'll get to that. But there's also something he did right at that point in the story. Something we can learn from. He called out to Jesus before he was in over his head. I was listening to a sermon last weekend, because, well, what did I listen to? So I listened to someone else since uh, I'm preaching each week. And I was listening to a friend, uh, one of my friends that I trained with in ministry, uh, Lindsay, who's uh, the minister down on Dundonald on the west coast, uh, south of here. And she was saying that in hard times, we might say when the wind and the waves are buffeting us, it can be easy to allow these situations to undermine our faith. These situations can, can make us try to, to go alone. We maybe withdraw from our church family. We maybe try to do it in our own strength. We maybe try, we even try and withdraw from God. We just turn away from God. We stop praying. We stop reaching out to Him. And as we do that, we sink further and further down. But not Peter. Not Peter. Sure, he takes his eyes off Jesus, and as I say, we'll come to that, but he calls out to Jesus. He has faith. And a faith that is more than a faith for the good times. And more than a faith that is just following Jesus when life is exciting. And often in our day and in Western culture, if life isn't going well and Jesus isn't ticking all your boxes, then apparently he can't be very loving. Really? Is that faith? Is that not just turning Jesus into a genie? Peter has faith. And so he calls out to Jesus. And in doing that, he finds that Jesus is right there in the storm with him. He finds that Jesus is able to save, to pick him up amidst the storms. Because let's remember, they're in that storm because of Jesus. 
Let's remember Peter's experiencing those waves because Jesus said, come. You might say it's Jesus' fault in some ways. They are where they are meant to be. And Jesus is right there with them. And he's ready to save. Friends, I wonder if storms have come in your life. If they've come upon your journey of faith. And in the midst of those storms and waves, did you call out to Jesus? Did you call out before the water was over your head? Or did we try to go alone? Did we allow faith to wither? Did we allow hurt and bitterness, genuine hurt maybe, to have their way and drive a wedge between us and God? You know, even if we did, even if that was the case, it's not too late. It is not too late. The water can be right over your head. But Jesus can pick you up and he can bring you into his embrace that you might have life, that you might have peace, that you might have renewed faith. Let us not allow faith to wither nor simply rely on our own internal strength. Let us learn from Peter's experience, from his story and call upon the name of Jesus both in the storms and in the everyday moments of life. I said near the start that, that this is a story about following Jesus, but it is also a story about Jesus himself. And you know, every one of our stories includes that too. When you tell your faith story, you're not just telling about your life. You're telling about the Jesus you follow. And the same is true here. Sure, we get lessons about what it means to follow Jesus, about having a risky faith, or how to respond when we start to sink, but we also get revelation about Jesus. In part, we have this story uh, because of, of an event that happens beforehand, and it's made clearer for us in the Gospel of John. There we read, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The sign referred to here is the feeding of the 5,000, and in both Matthew's gospel and John's gospel, the feeding of the 5,000 comes before this experience in the storm and before Jesus goes up the mountain. Jesus goes up the mountain. Jesus sends his disciples away because the people want to make him king. They want to have him rule them rather than the puppet king that Rome installed. But Jesus doesn't want that. And so he goes up the mountain and he sends the disciples away. They might see him as a, a man. They might see him as a prophet, but they don't realize there's so much more to Jesus. Christian writer Max Lucado imagined what a journal entry might be like, might have been like, if one of the disciples straight after they got to shore had written down their experience. And he describes it like this. I had never seen Jesus as I saw him then. I had seen him as powerful. 
I had seen him as wise. I had witnessed his authority and marveled at his abilities. But what I witnessed last night, I know I'll never forget. I saw God. The God who can't sit still when the storm is too strong. The God who lets me get frightened enough to need him and then comes close enough for me to see him. The God who uses my storms as his path to come to me. I saw God. It took a storm for me to see him, but I saw him, and I'll never be the same. Maybe before the experience on the lake, the disciples were just picturing Jesus as a man, a prophet, a wise teacher, able to do a few miracles. But after their experience on the lake, they think very differently of Jesus. This is the first time they worship him. This is the first time they say, truly you are the son of God. And sure, they don't understand that phrase fully. They have a lot to learn. They've got assumptions to undo. But they start to see that Jesus is more than a man. He's more than merely a human king. And ultimately, it is this revelation that should prompt us towards a risky faith. This revelation should prompt us to call upon Jesus amidst the storms and the waves. He is God. He alone is God. And you know, Jesus' rebuke of Peter is not so much about the quantity of Peter's faith, though that's what comes across in the English translation. Rather, faith is a consistency of trust in whom Jesus is. Faith is a consistency of trust in whom Jesus is. And we know that because of what we read in James, where doubt is to be divided in two. And so you, you, you move from doubt to faith, not by adding more to faith so that faith is somehow heavier than your doubt. Rather, doubt diminishes as you become less divided in your thinking about who Jesus is, who Jesus is. And so we develop from that a more consistent trust, a more consistent faith in Jesus. So I wonder, friends, what is your perception of Jesus? What is your perception of Jesus? To nurture a confidence that he is God, you need to be in his word. You need to be praying. You need to be worshipping seven days a week, not just today. Can I ask, are you doing that? Are you facilitating that? You might do it as you jog or walk the dog. You might do it in a quiet room You might do it at the end of the day, the start of the day. It doesn't actually matter, but are you doing it? Because even if Jesus, who had the most important job and the greatest demands and the busiest schedule and a family to look after, because remember, he doesn't have a dad. He's the head of the family. If even Jesus, with all of this, if even he had to go up a mountain and be with the Father so that he would be 
more clear about who he was and the mission he was called to and that he might persevere under the greatest of challenges and temptations if even Jesus had to go to be with the Father and reconnect how much more, how much more, church, do we need that to connect with God, to connect with Jesus? You won't get through the storms without being with Jesus. So can I encourage you to do that? And it's only by connecting with Jesus and being sure of Jesus that you will have a story to tell. A story to tell to the generations. You know, Wednesday I went and visited Elwyn. And that first verse I shared from... First Thessalonians, I read with Owen because our brother has a story to tell. He will be remembered not just because he's a great guy. He will be remembered because he has a faith in Jesus which has changed the world. It has changed lives. Can we say that? Can we say that? You will only be able, people will only be able to say that if you know Jesus. If you spend time with Jesus and allow Jesus to lead you into the risky places of faith. As I said, this summer we are starting a series on stories of power and parable. And in the midst of it, I hope we learn much more of Jesus and that we hear his call. He's called to risky, consistent faith even amidst the storms of life. Let us pray. So, brothers and sisters, Where's Jesus calling you to take a step of faith? Or what are the storms you're facing and you need them to to pick you up and hold you fast? Or what's causing you to be double-minded, to be split in two, to doubt that he's... God. In the stillness, why don't you just take a moment to share that with them in any of these three areas? Lord Jesus, I pray for those you're calling to step out in faith just now. Give us a boldness, a holy boldness. Fill us with your spirit afresh that we'd risk it, that we'd risk it all for you. Lord, I pray for those in the storm, those with the waves crashing upon them, 
be their strength and stay. Be their peace and their rock. See them through the storm, Father. See them through the storm. And Lord, where we feel just out of kilter with you, where we struggle to reconcile that, that you are God, help us. Give wisdom and revelation, I pray. Nurture our faith. And lead us to that point where we know with confidence, we know with clarity, we know with clear consistency of faith that you are God. You're here. And nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from your love. I ask this in your name. Amen. We close our service with our final hymn, In Christ Alone.
Go in faith. Go with Jesus. And as you go, the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you today and forevermore.